Hello, grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, aka IOANCAP, and aka uh, doing a show solo uh, because um, we're doing some pre-show. So, hello, denizens of January of the new year. How is uh, 2023 going? Um, I'm just enjoying the end of 2022. We're gonna be having our little Christmas celebrations coming up this week, um, and so of course, you know. Uh, what do we do during that most wonderful time of the year? What do we talk about? Um, obviously, we talk about um, the millennium. <laughs> so we're going to look at a um, an article from Table Talk magazine on the millennium. That's what I've been going on. Uh, the December issue uh, was called was on last things. It's a great issue. I'm just kind of finishing it up myself. Um, one thing that they're really doing, this is a side thing. They're going through, um, they're going through the book of Exodus and it's, uh, it's pretty, it's been pretty wonderful. Um, uh, even it's, it's, it's getting to the part that's very repetitious, um, repeating the, the stuff that was from earlier and yet it's still really interesting, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the millennium and, um, we are planning to get back realize one of my browsers in the peeking in the corner um we were planning on getting back in to talk about the Re book of revelation we're gonna get that very quickly very soon um but we want but i'm i'm i thought this was a good article to kind of um it, it broached the topic of of the millennium ahead of time because this is something that i have been kind of um uh-oh Uh, that I've been, I've been myself kind of um, puzzling over in my in my spare time, and um, some of y'all have been <laughs> joining me for the ride as I puzzle over it. Uh, but this was a really, I think this was a really good article on the kind of the the general topic of the millennium, um, kind of demystifying it a little bit, keeping it um, from. I don't know, just just uh, keeping it out of the heavily um, controversial whatever that it tends to be. And so I'm just going to go through this article again. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do. I'm going to try and keep this quick because we got a lot going on. We got a special guest coming up. Uh, I mean, it's the it's the rooms. I mean, you've already seen it hopefully by now, um, except for those of you watching the live stream. In which case, spoiler alert: it's the rooms. Uh, <laughs> but the millennium. Uh, this is Cornelius P. Venema. Very quickly, his CV. Um, he's written a lot on the subject of eschatology, um, as you can see, for for this uh, for table talk. And you can see at the top, he's uh, the president and professor of doctrinal studies at Mid America Seminary in Dyer, Indiana. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure I know someone who went to Mid America, but um, he is author of numerous books, including But for the Grace of God, An Exposition of the Canons of Dort. I haven't read that, but that sounds really interesting. Uh, the Promise of the, and the Promise of the Future. He's also the co-editor of Mid-America Journal of Theology. The Mid-America Journal of Theology. So, the Millennium, Cornelius P. Venema. Let's see uh, what we got. Um here. So the topic of the millennial reign of Christ, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I am uh, going to link this in the description for those of you who are listening, if you want to read along, 
Uh, or, of course, I've got it on the screen for the video people. Um, so you can also go over to our YouTube channel. And while you're there, subscribe. We're trying to get our subscribers up over 100 so we can mirror the show on Odyssey uh, so that we don't have just a uh, YouTube podcast. Um, also, maybe we could get off of YouTube. Not saying we want off of YouTube. We love YouTube. We love our YouTube overlords. Anyway, um, the topic of the millennial reign of Christ uh, often provokes intense debate among contemporary Christians. When the subject is broached, it doesn't take long for the debate to degenerate into arguments about the three predominant views. Premillennialism in both its historic and dispensational forms, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. The unfortunate feature of these debates is that they fixate on questions regarding the exact timing of the millennium. Does the millennium occur before or after the second coming of Christ at the end of the present age in redemptive history? Does the resurrection of believers occur before or after the millennium? Though these questions are important, they can easily detract from the main point of the vision in Revelation 20. They also tend to encourage an interpretation of Revelation 20 that is isolated from the testimony of the New Testament as a whole. This is some good things pointed out. Um, I would say that there's two problems. Um, millennial views sometimes... Uh, <laughs> how do I say this? Um, certain millennial views... Uh, obsess over Revelation 20, and certain millennial views seem to almost avoid it like the plague. So <laughs> while it's a millennial view, uh, they, they kind of just would rather not talk about the millennium at all. They would rather talk about, you know, all these other side issues. Um, but, but, but yeah, this, the, the, the question, and this is where, like, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table early on. Um, I have been each of those millennial views uh, listed. I've been a dispensational premillennialist. Um, I grew up dispensational premillennialist. Um, I've been a historic premillennialist. There was a uh, well. I was a, my my journey went from dispensational premillennialist to a millennialist. So I became an amillennialist. Um, mostly because I was like I, I. That's when I was becoming reformed, and they said reformed people tended to be a millennial. So I was like, okay. Um, and so it's kind of like, a there's, there's been a lot of that in, in, in uh, on the subject of my study of reformed theology It's not that I'm overly credulous about the reformed theological, uh, perspective. It's more that lacking a clear understanding of the issue myself, I kind of trust the reformed standard of uh, the reformed, uh, tradition until I see reasons to critique it. Um, just because that, or that, 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 that has been my approach in the past because, it was like, I, I saw that the wisdom of so much of what they had to offer. And so I kind of just said, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll trust them until I've had time to study the issue myself. And sometimes I've, I've critiqued the position. Sometimes I've critiqued the position and then ended up coming back. Um, but I, I went to all millennial for that reason, largely because it was, uh, I said, that's what most reformed people are. And also I read a book in seminary called the millennial maze by Stanley Grenz. Um, I don't recommend it. I really don't. Um, because I don't think he, he I, I think <laughs> more than anything, he misunderstands even his own position. He, he lays it out. He ends up arguing for the amillennial position, but he lays it out as pessimism, uh, optimism and realism. And, and really that's not even the issue. And as, as many of you guys who follow us know, um, I, it's, it's, I'm not, if when I'm, if <laughs> my amillennialism was never a realism, it was always an optimistic amillennialism, but, it, it, I just, 
it, it didn't it kind of sidestepped the issue well then out of I, I spent a long time in amillennialism and then I started flirting with postmillennialism um, as I went along, I had a friend who was really into, uh, theonomy and to reconstructionism and Bonson and, um, uh, blah, 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 that other guy who talks a lot about reconstructionism. I'm sure when Patrick, the stream catches up with him, he'll tell me, um, but, but I, um, and so I, I flirted with, with, with post-millennialism. I, I, I was kind of a post-millennial for about a, I don't know, I would say like six months, maybe three to six months, somewhere in there. And then I kind of resettled back into all millennialism. Um, I, I basically I, I came to the conclusion that I started talking to people and being like, you know, you can be an uh, optimistic all millennial. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well that kind of, uh, it kind of fits <laughs> what, what I was talking about. No, 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 not Clark. Um, the, the other guy, the other post-millennial guy, um, no, 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 he, he's not, he, he's, I think he's dead. The other, the other Christian reconstructionist guy, that's the other guy I'm looking for. The Christ, uh, Christian reconstructionist guy. Um, uh, and so anyway, I started, I started working through that, that issue I came back to all millennialism. And then actually I heard a really good argument for historic premillennialism. Um, and there was maybe a month that I was a historic premillennial where I was like, I think this. I'm, I think I was kind of convinced. And then I heard, I kind of heard, uh, then I read the, uh, book. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, I'll, I'll move away from the all millennial position and then I'll read a book by a non millennial and be like, Oh yeah, right. That that's, they don't deal with that. And <laughs> I came back to the all millennials. I forget which, which book it was. It was a riddle barger, uh, Kim riddle barger, um, on the man of lawlessness. Um, I know it's not, it was about Rush Dooney. Thank you. Rush Dooney is the guy I was looking for. That's the other Christian, the reconstructionist that I was talking about. Um, but, but Kim Riddlebarger, the book was on, um, the, uh, well, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist. Um, but it really made, um, it really made a good, uh, argument for, uh, made, made a really good argument for the millennial perspective along the way. Um, and then, and then kind of, I settled, I'm kind of where I am, where I'm kind of unsettled, kind of between a and post-millennialism, um, mostly because I just haven't had time to study post-millennialism ever since coming to my, as, 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 uh, Jeff likes to say, my partial preterist, uh, perspective, though I, it is partial preterist. Like, I know we say that in the sense that, you know, it's, it's only a sprinkling of partial, but really I am partial preterist. I do believe there is an, a last, a final coming, and there is a resurrection from the dead that is still in the future. And so that's what makes me partial preterist, is that I don't believe that all of the end times uh, writings are concluded or, or are, are already fulfilled. I just think a lot more of them are than most people do. <laughs> um but yeah, so so that's where I, my cards on the table. I'm right now being a little torn between post and pre post and uh, millennialism. I'm very as, as I said, I'm very I'm very convinced by the partial preterist view, um, and then I I just can't help but notice that a lot of the guys who have taught me partial preterism are also post millennial, and so I'm kind of just keeping my I'm kind of just keeping my mind open um, to say like you know it maybe there's something about the partial preterist position that lends itself to post-millennialism or maybe it's just maybe it's kind of maybe it's coincidental i don't know um so i'm kind of just keeping my my mind open um so that's that's my perspective going into this article and and, and so but yes we need to keep 
there's always two errors. And, I, and I'll say that this is actually um, where I find the two errors of the two camps that I have some uh, affinity for um, I, that, but, but that I don't, that I don't hold, but I have affinity for them. The premillennialists love to deal with revelation 20 and particularly revelation 19 to 20. Like they love that path, those passages and dealing with that passage. And so they, they, they love that passage, but it, it, it sometimes becomes hard for me to say like, well, where do you find evidence for the millennium? For a millennial reign, a literal millennial reign, because that is really the issue between amillennial and even postmillennial to an extent with premillennials. Where do you see evidence for a literal millennial reign uh, anywhere else but Revelation 20? And of course, they would say, well, of course, we find it in Revelation 20. Uh, but, but it seems like a big, a big deal to get left out of um, all the other passages. That kind of becomes my issue. But then the post millennials, it seems like I like like I, I all I sometimes wonder like, do they even know where the word millennium comes from? Because it seems like and of course I'm be, I'm being I'm being silly, uh post millennials, don't come at me. I'm being a little silly. Um but, I, but by which I mean they spend so little time in actually Revelation twenty that it's like, okay, so they, they it seems like the perspective comes from the eschatology of everywhere else, but Revelation twenty. Well you have to you can't do you can't err on either side. You have to deal with the chapter, but you also can't deal with only the chapter. If a doctrine can only be found in one chapter, um even if you're if you know we granted it might be found most clearly in one chapter, but if it's only in one chapter, well then that seems to me that we're reading we're either reading something into it or we're misreading something or we're missing something else. And, and, and so this is kind of the error that I see on, on a lot of the millennial discussion is either an obsession with revelation 20, the expense of anything else and no, and kind of an inability to find the millennium in any kind of clear sense in any other text, um, which to be clear is what keeps me from becoming a premillennial, um, is that it's hard for me to see this as a literal revel, a literal millennium when there's, there's, just almost, there's just no evidence of it anywhere else. But at the same time, we have to deal with the chapter. The chapter has to mean something. It's in the Bible. We have to, it has to mean something. Um, it's kind of the same thing that I say to Arminians about Romans 9. Well, it has to mean something. Like, you can't just ignore it. And, and of course, they'll come back and come with some interpretation. Well, it was good. I'm, I at least appreciate the Arminians who don't ignore Romans 9. There, there are some Armenians, I swear, like they just, they'll read Re Romans and be like, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, a little, <laughs> 10, 11, 12, and, and they really just will just skip right over 9. Honestly, I feel like that's the way I read it until I became a Calvinist, and then I finally was like, wait, hold up, there's a whole chapter in here that I just wasn't reading. Um, but let's get back to the article. Back to the article. Yet, when we approach the vision of the millennium of Revelation 20, within the framework of the book of Revelation in particular, and the New Testament in general, we are able to capture the grand theme that Christ's reign has already commenced and will ultimately triumph when Christ comes to receive his bride, the church, in its glorified state. To borrow the title of Dennis Johnson's fine commentary on the book of Revelation, the present and future aspects of the, re of redemption, of the story of redemption involve nothing less than the triumph of the Lamb of God, who is also the Lion of the Lamb of God, who is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The reign... Okay, so then this is a pull quote. Um, to appreciate the significance of the vision of, of, the, 
of the millennium in Revelation 20, it is important to remember the purpose and structure of the book of Revelation as a whole. So see, you thought we, were, we weren't reading Revelation anymore. Here we are reading Revelation. You're welcome. Uh, Revelation's purpose is to comfort and encourage the seven churches of Asia Minor, its original recipients, and all the churches of Jesus Christ throughout subsequent history whom, those, whom these churches represent. This means that all the visions of the book, including the vision of the millennium, should be viewed from the standpoint of this question. How would this vision encourage the original recipients of the book? That's that's a that's that's something that you should have heard from us a lot as we've been going through the book of Revelation. And when we get back to the book of Revelation in the start of the year, um, you'll hear us say again a lot. The structure of the book of Revelation is especially instructive. Revelation begins with an opening prologue in which Christ is described as the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of, on earth. Jesus Christ is already now the risen, ascended, and reigning king. Though he died, he now lives forevermore and has the keys of, i.e. the power over, death and Hades. Christ is the king of kings and lord of lords who walks among the seven lampstands, representing the churches, and holds firmly the seven stars, representing the church's ministry of the word in his hands. After this breathtaking revelation of Christ's kingship, the book records Christ's letters to the seven churches, followed by a remarkable vision that reveals Christ as the only one who is worthy to break the seven seals of the scroll that represents God's comprehensive purposes for the course of history. If nothing else, hopefully this should show you that we have not been overly, uh, um, that, that our own exposition is not overly, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for. Um, unique. <laughs> we're not, we're not just making crap up. Like we're, we're following good scholarship and good, good premises as we go through this. In fact, this is the kind of the funny thing is that we'll, we'll talk about these things or, or Living in a left behind world, <laughs> as we do, uh, we will talk about these things a lot of times, and then um, people will like uh, think that we're being we're, we're just making crap up and be like, "Wait, but I hear every everyone I talk to about who talks about the Book of Revelation says it's like this," and we'll say, "Well, actually, our view is older, and in fact, well well interpreted." Um, well-trodden land, but, but yeah, so we're not making crap up here on the Anarchist Bible study. We are, we're not making crap up. We're fa faithfully presenting crap that's already been made up. Um, oh, here's a beautiful picture of, of what it looked like in the article. You know what? Like I've, I've already sold, I know I've already sold one copy of table talk and I've convinced my, my, uh, my pastor to get table talk for the church, uh, on, on a church subscription. But you know what, man, I really need to find a way to get like a, some kind of a commission on all the table talk books I'm selling. But here you go. Look at it. Let me know. Let me know if you, uh, if you're buying a table talk because of my encouragement by sending us an email at anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com or leave us a comment on the video. Anyway, thereafter, the main body of the book records a series of visions, often organized in sequences of seven, representing the full scope of redemptive history. The words, the number seven is the number for completeness. It's a complete week, the completion of creation, stuff like that. Um, in these visions, we see a symbolic depiction of what will transpire during the course of the present epoch in redemptive history. 
These visions tell the story of redemption from the time of Christ's first coming until his coming again at the end of the age. Despite the complexity of these visions, their main focus is on the triumph of the Lamb together with his people. Four arch enemies of Christ and his church emerge in the course of redemptive history. The dragon, the first beast, the second beast, the fa or false prophet, and the false church, the harlot Babylon. In precisely the reverse order they're appearing, these opponents will each in turn be conquered by Christ. In Christ's triumph, his people triumph. The vision of the millennium closes the main body of the book and is followed by a concluding series of visions that portray Christ's ultimate triumph in the new heavens and earth. Now, here's my critique of the December issue of Table Talk. Uh, and if anyone has any insider's information on Table Talk and want to let them know that I said this, please do. Um, I'm a little bit frustrated they didn't have any um, partial preterists. Like, Table Talk is uh, a ministry of Ligonier Ministries, and Ligonier Ministries was uh, founded by the great R.C. Sproul, and his own position was partial preterism. And I didn't see any evidence of anyone writing from a partial preterist perspective. Now, if you want to check the website, check the, the articles and tell me that actually there was a partial preterist, let me know. I might be wrong. Um, but I was frustrated that there wasn't at least someone holding the position of R.C. Sproul. I'm not saying the whole book has to be that way. I'm... I, didn't expect that, um, but at least someone, right? It just seems odd that the perspective that RC so ably defended um, doesn't get represented in an issue on eschatology at all. Because the, the, the systems of sevens or the, the cycles of sevens, he says the present epoch in redemptive history, well, that's, that's, that's an interpretive statement. Um, some of the some of them are following the past epoch or or much of the past epoch um some of them yeah i think do point to a final epoch but many of them um maybe even most of them point to a past epoch that is the close of the the, the jewish age the entrance of the gentile age so i so that's a disagreement I have with the article. I'm okay with disagreeing with the article. I'm okay with disagreeing with the point of the article, but I'm just saying, not one. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, next time you guys do an eschatology issue, at least include a partial preterist. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, but but I really loved it. what I really loved is this this aspect that I hadn't actually caught myself. This was a really interesting um, point. The four arch enemies of the Christ and of His Church emerged in the, in the course of redemptive history: the dragon, the beast, the first beast, the second beast, or the false prophet, and the false church, the harlot of Babylon. I I, I hadn't put it all together that the harlot, um, the false church is the harlot of Babylon represents the false church. Um, I hadn't put that together. Um, as I've as I've often pointed out, um, the whore of Babylon, she sits among the seven hills. Everyone knows what that means. Everyone knows what among the seven hills means in the middle of Rome. Like that's Rome is the lady who sits in the midst of seven hills. So if you're talking about a woman who sits in the midst of seven hills, you're talking about the city of Rome. So the the harlot Babylon is Rome, but but this association of her with the false um, worship. I think that's interesting because what, what that is, is like the beast hates her. So the base, the beast hates false, the false church of Babylon and yet loves her, needs her. It's, it's such a fascinating, like the love hate relationship. I, I think in, in the book of revelation, the love hate relationship between the beast and the harlot is so fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense when you realize that the, the second beast is 
or the the first beast is as i believe it to be uh the roman empire well the there's always a a love-hate relationship between the roman empire and um the people right the 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 cult of the Roman Empire, the cult, the people worshiping the Roman Empire. There's a love-hate relationship between an empire and its people, right? They need the people, but also they kind of hate the people, <laughs> right? Um, and and they 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 use the people as as the beast uses the harlot. Anyway, that it's a fascinating thing. Um, but but you know you've got the so you've got the, but what that really that lines up really well with is and, and and I knew about this because my my professor. Um, who wrote a book on Johannine theology. I thought I brought it in here, but I don't have it close to me. My, my New Testament professor talked about how there's the unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the pro- false prophet. And, um, and they, they have this kind of a, um, a satanic, uh, a dark mirroring of the, the holy trinity. Because so you, you've got the beast who is the true, kind of the head of the evil order and so this would be satan but he's parodying god the father and then you've got the the beast um who is kind of the king and the ruler on earth and that's parodying the christ and there's even that reference of of one of the heads that was dead and rose again so there's a parody of or it was dead and is now alive so there's a parody of the resurrection of jesus even in that second um, beast, and then you've got the third beast, the false prophet, who is like the spirit revealing the second beast, revealing the worship of the second beast, or for the glory of the first beast. That's the the parody that the false prophet does. Well, the spirit does the same thing; he reveals Christ for the glory of the of the Father, but the the prophet is is kind of the par- the the dark parody of it. Well, then you got the the false church representing the false. Uh, the harlot or say the false church. But then you've also got the woman who gives birth to the child who is caught up and, and uh, who throws and, and the result of his being caught up in the clouds uh, throws down the serpent in this is revelation 12. So you've got the two, the two women representing the two churches. That's a fascinating parallel. I hadn't picked up on, but I think is, I think it's correct. Um, but, but yes, this is the context in which the millennium comes, uh, closes this, this whole body of work. So let's, let's, uh, let's finish the article. When Revelation 20 is interpreted in, light, in the light of the purpose and structure of the book of Revelation, one point becomes crystal clear. Christ, the Lamb of God, will prevail over all his and his people's enemies. Nothing will frustrate Christ's power to gather, protect, and preserve his church until, the king, until his kingdom comes in its fullness. Just as the Lamb of God is paradoxically the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, or the Lion of the tribe of Judah, so the persecuted church of Jesus Christ paradoxically lives and reigns with Christ even in the face of opposition and death. So this is, this is their, his argument of the, about the millennium. Um, now, of course, there would be a debate about the debate about the millennium is whether it's earthly or heavenly. Like that'll be that'll be kind of the debate is that that the the slain of the church that that what is that first resurrection? Is the first resurrection there's kind of two arguments and, and this is really just I, I'm I'm working it out a little bit myself. Um the argument the, the position that I lean toward is that the first resurrection is the saints being taken up into glory. So the 
the the the death and taken being taken into glory that's that's what i i lean toward currently um but another argument is that the first resurrection is the resurrection of the spirit would be regeneration um so those are kind of some some arguments of the a or post millennialist i think would would take the same kind of reading of it of of revelation 20 um and so that depends on whether we're describing uh it whether the revelation is describing it from a heavenly perspective or from an earthly perspective, um, whether it's the church reign, the church age, in which case we would have that in common with the dispensationalists to say that, no, 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 sorry. We would have that kind of in common with the dispensationalists in that it represents a time period of a certain type of believer. Sorry. I almost, I almost affirmed an agreement that wasn't really there. Um, but that, that, that it would represent that time of the church age well, either way, the book of Revelation 20 represents the church age, but whether or not it's, it's from the heavenly perspective or from the earthly perspective um, is, is kind of a debate. As my teacher, Anthony, Anthony Hukuma, often reminded his students, the reign of Christ represented in Revelation 20 is the same reign of which the whole New Testament speaks. The risen... By the way, Hukuma has, has done a lot of really good work on, on eschatology in the face of... of you know, the dispensational um, viewpoint. My, in my opinion, error. Um, the reign of Christ represents in the reign of Christ represented in Revelation twenty is the same reign of which the whole New Testament speaks. The risen and ascended Christ has all authority on it in heaven and on earth. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The risen Christ will reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, including the last enemy, death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26. As the Gospels remind us, Christ came to bind and plunder the strong man's house. In the words of Christ himself, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John 12, 31 to 32. And this is the article. I think this is a really great introduction to Topic of the millennium. Um, I, I wish he'd put his cards on his table. He is represented the all millennial perspective, I believe. Um, well, maybe he's post millennial. I guess you could maybe argue that this is also a post millennial view. But, um, but this is, uh, I think a really good overview of the the issue of the millennium. And I would say I affirm pretty much all of it. Um, and and it's good to get a little bit of a of a head up to what we're aiming toward. Because uh, at the rate we're going, we will get to the book of Revelation sometime in the next five years. Uh, sorry, to the Revelation 20 in the next five years. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my show. That's my, that's my episode. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed this. I hope you, you, you learned something. It was uh, um, helpful for you. Um, go grab Table Talk. I know that this, issue, this month's, uh, the next month's issue, um, I picked it up. I think it's on Peace. That sounds right. Yeah, peace. It's on the subject of peace, um, which is okay. It's it's a, uh, the articles are okay. I'm I'm not I'm not as blown away by this one. I guess you know not not all the issues are gonna are gonna grab you. Maybe someone out there is really needing the subject of peace and it's gonna really um, catch you. Um. <laughs> oh, Patrick. Yeah. Ooh, look who's date guessing now. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um. But, uh, but yeah, 
In the meantime, this is a really short episode. And I'm going to let you have a have a break. Um, in the meantime, like, subscribe, share, follow, five star, all the other things we normally tell you to do. AnarchistBibleStudyGmail.com, comment. Uh, if you're listening, please go to our YouTube and subscribe so that we can get off of YouTube. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, YouTube. Wink. Uh, and of course, oh, buy, oh my gosh, I almost forgot the most important part. Buymeacoffee.com. If you really appreciate what we do, go to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover and uh, you can request a topic, $5, a one-time donation, or you can go to, you can give us a $1 a month subscription, in which case you get uh, access to our secret Discord server where we talk about all kinds of awesome goodiness. And also we, uh, you know, share memes things like that. You could have watched this episode all the way back in January. If you were a uh, subscriber, you know, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, most importantly, join us again next week or next month. In my case, when you take it, when we read, when we take anarchy to church, you're on the anarchist Bible study, grace and peace.